going to get into the Word of God. Amen. And we're in the book of Jude. We're going to finish out Jude in two weeks. Uh, and then, don't know where I'm going just yet. I have some ideas. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll pray, and we're going to land somewhere good. Uh, and if you have any suggestions, anything you've always wondered about, anything you'd like to go through, let me know. I can't promise, but I'll pray about it. All right? Yeah? Yes? No? Okay. All right. Now, uh, let's stand together, and we're going to pray over the Word of God. This is the Word of the Lord, and what we're going to get into is very, very powerful, very strong. This is absolutely a letter that burns. This is, um, well, I can't think of hardly any letter in the New Testament more relevant for today. It's going to speak to us today. It's relevant today. Amen? And uh, so may the Lord shine his light on it. Father, we just come to you with this word. And we pray, Lord, that as we get into your word, you will bless it, you will minister, you will lead, you will guide. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Speak to us. Can you lift up a prayer and just say, speak to me tonight, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. And by the way, didn't Messina do a great job over there? Messina, God bless you, you and your whole family. And um, now you're, you're wondering where Ronnie is. Um, I'm just going to tell you, Ronnie's mom uh, has cancer, and they're having a real uh, struggle just navigating and walking through this. And so I think we just need to pray for Ronnie. Um, amen. Before we get into this, Father, we just give Ronnie and his family to you and his mom. And we pray that as, Lord, they navigate through this and do their best to minister to her and, and to walk through this as a family, that you will grace them and help them, minister to them and carry them. And we thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. But when Ronnie's gone, I so appreciate Messina and her family. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, last time uh, we covered uh, the first four verses of Jude and closed by looking at how the apostates that Jude warns against are ungodly. Well, hello. Yes, apostates would be inclined to be ungodly. Uh, but even going so far as to deny the Lord himself, to deny Jesus. Remember, apostasy is not like backsliding. The backslider is somebody saved. They know they're saved. Uh, and they fall into some kind of sin, get away from God, drift away, and eventually they end up in God's woodshed. And he's got one. I've been there a number of times. I don't like it. I don't want to go back. I'd rather obey up front. Apostates are different. Apostates, apostasy, comes from the Greek word apostasia, and it means to renounce or denounce God. It means you renounce the faith. You walk away. You want nothing to do with it. You leave it. You, you renounce Christ. Uh, you, you trample it. You walk away and never return. Never confess him. Never live for him. 
Never pray to him. You apostatize, okay? That's different. He's talking about apostates in the book of Jude and how they are going to be everywhere in the last days. And he's going to take us on a little journey tonight looking back at how apostasy, as a matter of fact, the title of this tonight is The Footprints of Apostasy. The, the biblical historical footprints of apostasy. Now, we're going to pick it up with Jude pointing out the apostasy that began in his day and that he says is going to overwhelm the church of the last days. People talk a lot about a re- revival in the last days. I believe God can send a revival, but you need to mark it down. The Bible clearly predicts that in the last days before the return of Christ, there's going to be a great apostasy. And I believe we're watching it. All you got to do is read a little bit of religious news. Whole denominations are walking away from Christ, throwing the Bible out, um, putting their seal of approval on sinful things that God condemns. Uh, Really, in all of their actions, walking away from the faith. Whole denominations. I can name them. Don't need to. But denominations that used to be grounds and pillars of the truth. And now they've just walked in mass by the thousands. Now he's going to use three illustrations to highlight apostasy. First, the pilgrim age. And that's tracing the judgment of Israel as God's pilgrim people in the wilderness. So the pilgrim age is referring to uh, God's people in the wilderness making the pilgrimage to the promised land and how so many of them ended up being judged for their unbelief. Then the primeval age, going back to God's judgment of the days of Noah, and finally the present age as he foresees the decadence of the end times. Why do we get into the word like this on Wednesday nights? Why are we going nationwide and worldwide with the word of God? Because I want to, and we want to do whatever we can to keep people grounded in sound doctrine and truth. To, to, to not forsake the word, to stay true to scripture, true to Christ, true to the foundational truths of the Bible. That, that's, that's why we do this. I don't want you apostatizing. So he starts with the primeval age and the wilderness wanderers. So here we go. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And that's the pilgrim age. I'm sorry. It's the pilgrim age. All right. Watch this. Two kinds of people came out of Egypt when Moses delivered the people under the hand of God. Two kinds of people came out. First, those who were soundly saved. It says the Lord, having saved the people, out of the land of Egypt. So Jude begins by pointing out the genuinely saved. How are they saved? They put their faith in the blood. Amen? They put their faith in the blood. So God put them under the blood. They put the blood on the doorposts and on the sides of the doors. They 
shed the blood of the lamb, and they were deli- they were delivered from the death angel by the blood. They were taken out of Egypt by the power of the blood. So they were genuinely saved because the truth they had at that time, they put their faith in. They were saved by the blood, the blood of the lamb, placed in obedience on the doorposts. The death angel passed over them when he saw the blood. So we have the Passover. So they are a type of the New Testament church, saved by the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. But at the same time, watch this, there were those who, who were supposedly saved. Supposedly, but they weren't. It says that God afterward destroyed those that believed not. Watch this now. Who did he destroy? Those that believed not. There were those that placed faith in the blood, and there were those that did not. Among the saved were the phonies, the tares growing next to the wheat, which is what Jesus said the church would always experience. You got the real and you got the phony. All right? And they grow up right next to each other. And you can't tell a tear from wheat until it's full grown. Okay? They look very similar. Now, the Bible calls those that followed Moses out of Egypt who were phony, he calls them a mixed multitude. A mixed multitude. These were the people that caused the most trouble. They criticized. They complained. They attacked Moses and Aaron, and they refused to enter the promised land. They were full of unbelief. Who were they? They were the phonies. They didn't place their faith in the blood. The mixed multitude had joined the ranks of Israel after the overthrow of Pharaoh. They were unbelievers who knew nothing about redemption by the blood of the Lamb. They simply decided to join the winning team at the time. Hey, Israel's being delivered out. Looks like they got it all going on. Let's join to them and go out with them. But they weren't believers. They were the mixed multitude. And Jude is drawing a comparison here between the mixed multitude and the apostates that are in the church. Because apostates go to church. Do you know the devil goes to church? Oh, yeah, the devil goes to church every week. Oh, no, it's just full of wonderful saints, Pastor Jeff. Oh, I'm telling you, wake up. You better know the devil goes to church. And people that aren't really walking with Christ go to church. They go because they like the fellowship. They like the social stuff. They like uh, trying, they're trying to meet people, uh, you know, sometimes looking for spouses, looking for friends, looking for something to do. But, 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 but the bottom line is, it's a mixed multitude every Sunday. It's a mixed multitude. Maybe here tonight. Don't look at your neighbor. Look up here. Right? Uh, they're among us, but they're not of us. They were among Israel, but they weren't of Israel. They were mixed. They joined up because it looked like they could get something out of it. But they weren't, John wrote this, 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they, wouldn't, they would have continued with us. 
you catch that? If somebody's real, they stick. If somebody's real, they don't walk away. They would have continued with us if they had been of us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Time tells the story. When I got saved, there were all kinds of people my age that were in the meetings, raising their hands, walking with, you know, hallelujah, kumbaya, this and that. But I've learned that a lot of them no longer walk. Some do, thank God they do, but not all of them. They were with us, but not of us. They were part of a mixed multitude. The mixed multitude of Israel perished in the wilderness under the judgment of God. It says, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, God said to them. Jude's point is this, as it happened to the apostates in the wilderness, so shall it happen to last day's apostates. All right? So he's drawing a comparison, the mixed multitude to the apostates of today. They're among you, but they're not of you. And when the oven gets hot and the going gets tough, they boogie. They're not with it. They're not willing to pay a price. They're not really walking with Jesus. They're only there as long as the going is good and easy. And the blessings are there. Y'all with me? The, the, the tear is growing right up next to the wheat. All right? Now, Jude's next illustration is of the, of the primeval age and the fall of the angels. Look at verse 6. And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So first... The mixed multitude going through the wilderness. Now we've got the angels. He's drawing a comparison between these fallen angels and the apostates of today. So what does he say? We know that before the creation of the world, there was a great rebellion in heaven, right? Lucifer, a mighty archangel of God, along with a third of the heavenly host, rebelled against God. When they rebelled, Jude says they left their proper domain. Okay? They, they left the place God had for them. You know, if you want to be blessed, be where God wants you. Amen? If you want to be blessed, be where God wants you. And where does God want you? In the epicenter of his will. He wants you right with Christ. He wants you in his word. He wants you seeking him. He wants you growing in him. And, and that's the place of blessing. God is a, place, God, is a God of, of, of parameters and borders, and there's a place for you and me. And these angels, when they rebelled, they left their place, the place that God had them, and, and the proper domain, the place of blessing and power and usefulness. They left it. So they didn't stay within the limits of the authority God originally gave them. They broke out in rebellion, and they thought to literally overthrow God. Here's what Isaiah says about the devil, Lucifer. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations, for you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. 
I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Where is heaven? It's due north. So I'm going to sit on the farthest sides of the north. I'm going to go way deep into heaven where God dwells. I'm going to overthrow God. The devil lost his mind. All right? I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. No, you won't. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And he was, and he is. Now we know that Satan also took a third of the angels with him. And to my understanding, those third of the angels that rebelled with him in the great rebellion are now what we call demon spirits. It says in Revelations 12, 3, suddenly a red dragon appeared. Anytime you read about a dragon in the book of Revelation, it's Satan. I saw the red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on his heads. His tail drew along behind him a third of the stars, which he plunged to the earth. Verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. You get it? His angels were cast out with him. So it was a rebellion. And folks, it happened before God said, let there be light. It happened before the creation of the world. How do we know this? Because when we first meet Satan, he's already a disembodied spirit in the form of a serpent tempting Eve. He's already been judged. So all this has happened before Eve and Adam. Jude's point is that just as there were two types of people delivered from Egypt, the saved and the supposedly but not truly saved, there are also two types of angels, those who remain true to God and those that rejected him and are being reserved in chains awaiting the judgment right now. The apostates that Jude is exposing in the letter are like them. That's his point. They leave their, their place of blessing, their right place with God, and they rebel and they walk away. Same idea. They leave their place of obedience to rebel against God. He's comparing apostates to them. That's his point. They have a form of godliness, but it's only a form. Uh, they don't really know Christ. They know about him. They might be able to teach a decent Bible study, but they don't know him. Churches are full of them, depending on the church. There might be a few as opposed to quite a few, as opposed to most everybody in there is a terror because they're just playing church and religion. Now, next, Jude turns his attention to the people of Sodom. Uh-oh. Verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So here's his third comparison. 
Jude says that as the angels did not stay within their God-given place, but broke out in rebellion to go where they had no business going, this is what the people of Sodom did on the moral plane. They left their proper place. That's the idea, morally. The angels left their proper place uh, in their authority under God. But the people of Sodom left their proper place morally and went after strange flesh. Word strange there means flesh of another kind. And what it really means is uh, uh, the wrong flesh. Well, wouldn't I have a great time reading this on ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSDNC, I mean, LSD, I mean, oh, NBC. Wouldn't they just love to hear this? Because our whole culture has been seduced into a massive moral lie and moral chaos on a level I can't find anywhere in the history of humanity. Mm -mm. Here's the message. God has given sexual boundaries that are crystal clear in Scripture. Has he not? Yeah, because he loves us. So he's given boundaries. Man is to be with woman and woman to be with man. Male and female made he them. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Now, all I got to do is quote that to our culture, and I'm a bigot, and I'm a homophobe and all kinds of phobes, and they make up a new phobe every day. But the bottom line is, I'm just telling you what somebody texted me coming at me uh, today. Yet, no, yesterday, because I had quoted a Bible verse, and here's, here's what they, regarding this, this subject. And they said, what's the Bible got to do with anything? That's what they said. What's the Bible got to do with anything? And I said, the Bible has to do with everything. Everything. But see, that's the attitude out there. Why are you bringing out some archaic, old, antique book to tell us how to live? I'm not telling you how to live. I'm just quoting the scriptures where God gives boundaries, not just moral boundaries, but ethical boundaries and all kinds. Listen, right down to salvation, he gives a one-way boundary. If you don't come by way of Christ, you can't get into heaven. He gives boundary. He's clear. There's no gray area, no fog. You know, it's clear as crystal so that we clearly get it. Sin of homosexuality and lesbianism are forbidden in Scripture. But guess what? Those aren't the only moral sins. Adultery is forbidden, fornication, pedophilia, bestiality, prostitution. There's all kinds of moral sins that are pointed out. The only reason homosexuality is a front-burner topic is because it's been made a front-burner topic by that community and by our fallen, degenerate 
culture. We are a wicked and perverse generation, just like Jesus called his generation. A wicked and perverse generation. Ours is a wicked and perverse generation. And here's one of the ways it's wicked and perverse. Perversion just means something is twisted. Something is not the way it was intended to be. Commentator John Phillips writes these words, quote, In Sodom and Gomorrah, a homosexual lifestyle was not only practiced, but also permitted and promoted. Sound familiar? Hello? Let's go on. It was not only permitted, but it was also protected by law. In Sodom, the unnatural became the natural, the rule rather than the the exception. Are we there? Oh, folks, we're not getting there. We're there. What did Jesus say? As it was in the days of Lot, Sodom, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. For the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, doing business deals, and everything else. And knew not until the fire fell and consumed them all. So this lifestyle had been completely normalized so that every day it was just BAU, business as usual, cutting deals, doing life, but life without God. And life without God always spirals into moral perversion. Always. All ways. It spirals into moral perversion. When man walks away from God, one of the first telltale signs is moral perversion. John Phillips, the commentator, continues, when a society passes laws to protect the rights of people to practice these perversions, society becomes partner to their vileness and is therefore ripe for judgment. I didn't write that. John Phillips, the commentator, wrote that. And where did he get it? He got it from the Bible. And Sodom certainly did fall under God's judgment, did it not? The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah now lie buried in the depths of the Dead Sea. Did you know that? I've been to the Dead Sea. And, and you can lay down in the, uh, in the water on the Dead Sea without a, uh, without a uh, life, or what do you call it, life jacket, and you'll float like you're laying on a piece of wood because it's so laden with salt and minerals, and it's so dead. Sodom's underneath it. While in their heyday, they were important trade routes, and it was a very prosperous Twin Cities. Yeah, Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm not comparing to Sodom and Gomorrah, but we're getting there. All right, but but same kind of thing, Dallas-Fort Worth, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. They were a very prosperous twin cities, beautiful. That's why Lot went there. But they were corrupt to the core morally, and God poured out fire from heaven. Wasn't a volcano going off. These people that teach that, they're not reading the text. The text says, from heaven, 
So Jude makes the case that the apostates of his day and those that we will encounter in abundance in the last days are similar to the mixed multitude that followed Moses, the fallen angels that left their place, and the people of Sodom that crossed the moral line in the sand and fell into judgment. They are set forth. Listen to what the Bible says. They, these examples are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. An example to who? Us. Next, he shows how these apostates, uh, as we are witnessing abundantly in our society today, scorn the moral structures of a healthy society, and they rail against authority. He says in verse 8, likewise also these dreamers, look at what they do, defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Now, now notice how the apostates in Jude's crosshairs reject authority. This is big. This means they cast aside the authorities that God has put in place. They hate authority. They despise authority. Wherever they find it, they despise it. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live my life. They despise parental authority, governmental authority, civic authority, law enforcement authority, and the authority of Scripture. Wherever authority manifests, they hate it. Don't cramp my style. Don't tell me how to live and not to live. I'll do what I want, where I went, when I want, and you can't tell me otherwise. The atheists who say, well, I just don't intellectually, I can't intellectually arrive at the reality of God. It can't be. It doesn't make sense. Evolution must be true. Let me tell you what their real issue is. They don't want anybody telling them how to live. So they come up with these intellectual uh, smoke screens, in my opinion. Because the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. And they don't want anybody cramping their style and living the way they want to live and doing their corrupt things. So they make all these high-minded arguments against God. I don't believe in atheists. Atheists don't believe in God. I don't believe in them. Because my Bible tells me in Romans 1, God has revealed the reality of himself to them, to every human being. I do believe in very, very good suppressors of truth. But I don't believe in one single solitary atheist because my Bible tells me God has shown it to them. You're wired for sound tonight, Pastor Jeff. Yeah, I am a little bit. I, I'm a little bit. Yeah. Because I get, I, get, I get so weary. Eh, anyway, I talk to a lot of people about the Lord and, and about God, and I make comments, and I study and how they think and what they're saying, and most of it's just a big smoke screen. But anyway, they speak evil of dignitaries. That's the second thing they do. They despise authority. And they go so far as to speak evil of dignitaries. Very dangerous. Have you been struck like I have by a change in our culture? And here's the change. There is a growing willingness to openly mock and speak evil uh, um, of 
heavenly beings and dignitaries, uh, things that are sacred, things that used to be respected and honored. Uh, now there is this increasing tendency to speak evil, truly evil, of heavenly dignitaries. Okay? What I mean by that is um, we regularly hear them. I do. I've seen it. Curse Christianity, mock Christians, blaspheme God on camera, on national, international television. Literally come right out and say blasphemous things against Christ, particularly at these loony, self-glorifying awards shows. They speak evil of people of honor, people of character and faith, and they speak evil of heavenly dignitaries, angels, Christ, and God himself, and the cross, and the shed blood of Christ, things that would not have ever gotten down the street 30 years ago. No, no network would have ever allowed it on, but they do now. Nothing is more characteristic of our age uh, than the way people verbally abuse those in high places. Okay? It's one of the indica indicators, in my opinion, of our tragic drift from God because the fear of God goes away. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So when the fear of God goes away, you can know you've got a culture with no wisdom. Okay? Uh, so... These so-called stars and starlets. You know, the only star I know is Jesus. I don't believe in stars or starlets. Uh, no, no, no. Um, they routinely take the name of Christ in vain, and they uh, even blaspheme him on national television. I saw one so-called starlet, a female, take their award. I think it might have been an Oscar. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember what it was, but it was a, a big-time award and said, Jesus had nothing to do with this. God had nothing to do with this. And blasphemed Christ right there. And boy, did that person run into a world of trouble later, but it doesn't. That's, it's sad. Because those words, a man will give an account for every idle word he speaks. And if you speak a word against Christ, God help you. Now let's pick up the next few verses uh, out of the Living Bible, starting again with verse 8. It's really self-explanatory. Here we go. Ready? Yet these false teachers carelessly go right on living their evil, immoral lives, degrading their bodies and laughing at those in authority over them, even scoffing at the glorious ones. Yet Michael, now he's going to draw a comparison. Look at Michael, the great archangel. One of the mightiest of the angels, when he was arguing with Satan about Moses' body, did not dare to accuse even Satan or jeer at him, but simply said, let's say it together, the Lord rebuke you. But these men mock and curse at anything they don't understand, and like animals, they do whatever they feel like, thereby ruining their souls. So even Michael, the great archangel, probably the greatest, mightiest, he's the warring angel. He's the warring archangel. 
Gabriel was the one, the archangel that always brings the divine messages to God's. It's Gabriel that came to Mary and said, you're going to bring forth the Christ child. It's Gabriel that visited Daniel. Uh, Gabriel is sort of the message archangel, but Michael is the warring angel. And even Michael would not personally rebuke Satan, but he said, the Lord do it. But these people out there, the same level of dignitaries, they mock them, curse them, blaspheme them. They go where even Michael wouldn't go, with the devil. Wow. In submission to God, Michael simply said, the Lord rebuke you. I will not stoop to your level, devil. By railing against a dignitary, even though you're a fallen dignitary. Unlike Michael, these rebel apostates do not understand the value of heavenly things. They do whatever they like, ruining their souls in the process. Are you all with me? It's very serious here tonight. I know it's, it's heavy stuff, right? Can you take a little bit more? Okay, because I'm, I'm, I've just got a little bit more. He mentions three men next to further illustrate the apostates, and we'll go through them fairly quickly. And by implication, an apostate culture. Here they are, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. He names these three to, again, compare modern-day apostates to them. He says in verse 11, Woe upon them, for they follow the example of Cain. There's Cain, who killed his brother, and like Balaam. They will do anything for money, and like Korah, they have disobeyed God and will die under his curse. Wow. All right. Cain. What's the issue with Cain? Cain illustrates the apostasy or the way that apostasy attacks the means of salvation revealed by God to Adam and Eve, and that is there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Who gave Adam and Eve their animal skins? God did. How do you get the animal skin? An animal had to die. Blood was shed. So early on to the first couple, God revealed the only way your sin's going to be handled is through the shedding of blood. That was the message of the first family. Cain didn't receive it. Cain was the first person born on this planet, first one born. And the Bible says he was unteachable. He refused to approach God on God's terms. The terms were the shed blood of an animal to cover sin. When he brought his offering to God, it was a vegetarian offering. It was a vegan offering. He brought vegetables. And, and God disallowed it. Why? Because it wasn't shed blood. Because sin is only removed by the sh shedding of blood. Okay, so Cain is the father of all false religion because all false religions insist on another way to God other than the way he has given the shed blood of his son. So the apostates of our apostate culture, you can count on it, they're always going to be out there pushing another way to get right with God. There's only one way. And if you go any other way, as Cain was disallowed, 
you will be disallowed, and I will be dis. if I reject God's way. Then we come to Balaam. Balaam illustrates how apostasy attacks the sovereignty of God. Now watch this. Balaam was a soothsayer, and that means we would call him today a psychic. Okay? And he was all about money. He was ruled by greed. Money was what he loved. And when Balak, the king of Moab, wanted Balaam to curse God's people who were going across the land of the Moabites, and he wanted Balaam to come and curse them and stop them so that they weren't a threat to Balak and the Moabites, uh, they offered Balaam money. And Balaam finally took the price, took the money, and went to curse them, but God wouldn't let him. He prophesied beautifully blessing on Israel. Every time he stood up to curse them, God wouldn't let him do it. But when he was all done, he, he said, but, but I didn't get my money. I wanted that money. He's not going to pay me unless I tell him how to defeat these people. And I can't curse them because God won't let me curse them. What am I going to do? Ah, here's what I'll do. He said, my Lord King, talking to Balak, there's more than one way to accomplish your goal. Since you cannot curse them, I suggest you corrupt them. Use the temple harlots. Send the temple harlots of your false religions into the midst of the men of Israel to seduce them, and they will seduce them. And when the seduction is successful, God will have to judge his people, and that's the way you stop them. And that's exactly what Balak did, and that's exactly what happened. What's the message? Uh, I'm all about money. That's going to be the modern-day apostates. If you're listening to somebody preach or teach, and all you hear is this and that and the other about money, money this, money that, sow your seed here, sow your seed there, sow your seed everywhere, sow your seed just to me, and as soon as I receive that envelope with that check in it, your runaway child's going home, run the other way. Because you don't have to buy God's blessing. God's blessing is not for sale. No. Church has been so programmed these days, it's really sad. I could go into some things, but there's not time. But please, that's Balaam. When it's all about money, when I, I will sell God's gift for your money, I will, cur I will do whatever it takes for me to get money. I'm more about money than I am the glory of God. Okay? Finally, Korah, and we're about to close. Korah illustrates how apostasy attacks the service of God. Korah was a cousin of Moses and Aaron. He was in, he was the cream of the crop. He was the creme de la creme. He was at the top of the leadership hierarchy in the wilderness. He was a leader amongst the people of Israel, Korah, and so were Dathan and Abiram, his buddies. And Jude accuses him of gainsaying, which means to contradict or to cause strife. That's what the Korah, that's what Korah does. That's what the apostates do. They cause strife. They divide. They bring division to a body. 
They bring division to a congregation. They bring division. They divide. They gainsay. That means they, they come in and they say things that divide the people because a divided house can't do much for God. You know the story, Cora, along with Dathan and Abiram, challenged Moses' leadership. Who do you think you are? We can hear from God ourselves. Who do you think you are? They accused Moses of pride. And they said, "Who? you're not the only one that hears God here, Moses. We do too. You're not the man. You're only one of the men. We're, we're in there with you. Moses said, really? Show up tomorrow morning at the tent of meeting. And let's let God answer this. This is a really scary story because these these three men, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they show up the next morning threatening the spiritual authority of the people of Israel, hindering the work of God by the division they were sowing. And the Bible says as they stood there, the ground opened up, swallowed Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, Mrs. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and close back up. (laughs) Amen, Pastor Jeff, that's good preaching. Hallelujah, that's going to make my night. He's saying modern-day apostates will bring division like that. They will challenge spiritual authority like that. They will accuse spiritual authority like that. Apostates like Cain that attack God's way of salvation, Balaam that's all about the money, or Korah that attacks God's servants and so discord are alive and well today. And they infiltrate churches, they infiltrate religious institutions, seminaries, the entertainment industry, other key parts of society. And chillingly, Jude says these words, that God has reserved for them the blackness of darkness forever. Let's stand up, can we? (laughs) I told you this is a letter that burns. Everybody say, I'm burned, I'm burned. I feel the heat. But isn't the word of God powerful? Isn't it just powerful? It is so powerful. So let's, let's go to him and in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the word tonight. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your goodness. And, Lord, we do continue to keep Ronnie in our prayers. And we thank you, Lord, for these strong warnings in the word of God and these, these truths that give us discernment and wisdom to face the last days. Thank you for arming us with truth tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.